Hey everyone, it's Beth. Welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. Today you'll hear Angela's story. Angela is a transformational speaker who inspires and coaches busy career women. She lost her mom in 2010, shortly after the loss of her brother at the age of 42. Angela learned that the lifestyle of her mom and brother were not ones that she wanted to follow. And then the loss of two close friends and a broken ankle sealed the deal in making Angela evaluate her priorities. I think you'll enjoy today's podcast, and as always, if you do, please leave a rating and review. Thank you. Hi, this is Beth, and welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. Uh, Today, I have with me Angela. Angela and I met in the coaching program I've spoken about a lot in the fall with Kathy Heller. We participated in a 12-week program, um, which led me to doing this and has led Angela to doing some amazing things with her life as well. Um, But I went back to that group and said, hey, would anyone want to share the story of being a daughter without a mom? And Angela graciously volunteered to be here. I know that you're going to love listening to her because she just has this beautiful voice that has a cadence and a rhythm that is captivating. So I'm really looking forward to hearing your story, Angela. I appreciate you being here today. So I'm going to turn it over to you, let you introduce yourself, tell your story, and then we will finish with some questions at the end. So thank you so much for being here today. Thanks so much, Beth. It's a real honor. Hi, friends. Uh, This is Angela. I'm really, really, really honored and happy to be here today. And um, it's my prayer that something that I share will hopefully touch your heart, encourage you, or help you on your journey of grief. So my story related to my mom uh, starts when I was little, like maybe a lot of people. I'm a pastor's kid. Uh, I grew up in church. My mom was the organist. She really should have been labeled the assistant pastor. But back then, women perhaps didn't have the same opportunities, right? And so uh, I grew up watching my mom be the Black Mother Teresa. And whether she knew it or not, my mom lived a life fully of service, almost to the extent that she didn't take care of herself. And like if someone died in Mississippi or in Canada, my mom had a Lincoln Town car. She was a phenomenal cook and my parents had a restaurant uh, that they used to help fund building a new church to uh, fulfill their passion of serving people. She would cook a full meal in these huge, industrial-sized pots. she load up her Lincoln Town car. she drive to wherever the person who was deceased lived. And then she'd feed everyone. She'd help write the program. She'd play the organ for the service, maybe even speak if need be. Then come back, do the bereavement uh, event by herself off times, and then drive back home waiting for the next phone call. So sounds really, really good unless you're the daughter and unless you see that your mom doesn't get her sleep. And if she gets a phone call about someone dying or someone in need, she'll drive whatever the distance is shaking the whole way because she really should have gotten a rest. So I absorb unknowingly the message, hard work is God's way of uh, serving people. (laughs) That's not a good message. Uh, The Bible says, I would above all things that you prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. And 
there are a lot of scriptures about, um, you know, even in the Old Testament, I think when Moses got tired, the elders held his hand up. So to me, that says you can't do it all by yourself. So I grew up watching my mom help, help, help. And she was like, um, she was before they had legislative uh, lobbyists. My mom was a lobbyist. She would go down to the mayor's office. She would go to the governor's office. She was fearless. And whatever the need in the community was, she would say, are you aware that such and such and such and such? And she didn't want money. She just wanted people to be helped. So it made her really effective because she never, ever had a personal agenda. But man, did she see things in which she speak up. We would have summer camps for free for kids who couldn't afford summer camp. And they would go like rent a, a facility someplace like in a fun area with swimming pools, a woods, you know, softball, et cetera. And my mom would cook all this food delicious potato salad, coleslaw, hot dogs, hamburgers, uh, some chicken on the grill, corn on the cob, you know, you name it, a lot of fun. And for free, all these kids would get either a week away or a weekend, depending on, you know, what the budget was. And my mom was like, you know, in retrospect, she did everything. I was like, oh my God, what was she thinking? She cooked, right? she would lead like the devotional. We might have breakouts where you would have small groups, but she was the master of bringing behind it. And my dad, he was the pastor and he had his role. He was very, very good at delivering God's word. But my mom was really the one who, uh, in my opinion, I mean, daddy might not like this, but I felt she was the brainchild. <laughs> Sorry, daddy. <laughs> And so why am I sharing that? Because I saw that my entire life. That's all I saw, you know, going here, going there, going here, going there. I never, ever, ever saw my mom slow down, sit somewhere and say, I'm tired. I'm going to take a rest. All of my conversations with my mother were in the car, heading somewhere to take care of people in the kitchen, chopping vegetables. She had a big commercial stove, Wolf. I think it had like six burners, this huge grill. This was like, you know, I'm, 50, I'm 58 now. So uh, she was 45 years ahead of the times, right? This is when I was a kid and she had these long tables. So I, I hated chopping all those vegetables, but I did it because I got to spend time talking to my mom. And I'm like, mommy, why don't you sit down? Why don't you you know, just take a little bit of time to take some water or tea. Oh, I'm doing the Lord's work. And so she took joy and happiness out of that. She was someone who was real joyful and people loved to be around her. But what happened later when I was uh, 2010, so I'm not going to do the math because I might get it wrong, but in 2010, my brother, who was um, similar to my mother helping young people, he was on his way home from work, driving uh, Hanover, Pennsylvania, and we don't know what exactly happened, but basically his car came to a standstill in the median and he transitioned. He uh, was smiling, so hopefully an angel met him, but it was a shocker because he was only 42. My mother, in retrospect, was grieving in a way that it didn't show the same 
she did all that she would have done for anyone else's funeral times 10 for my brother. And we didn't see her grief the way that in retrospect, I'm like, it had to be there, except at the funeral, she cried out my brother's name, David, like she was in agony. But that was the only time that we saw her emote uh, what had to be painful to bury your son unexpectedly. And at his funeral, there were all these young people across the, it was a beautiful big church that was just filled with young people who were talking about the difference that he made in their life. And then they would say, Uncle David or David and his mom, right? So I'm thinking, man, she was helping him with the young people too. So somehow she didn't get God's message that, you know, he gives you your area. You don't have to be his messenger to feed the entire world. I think she was up there not competing with Jesus, but definitely feeling like, you know, he needed help. <laughs> and so um, after my brother's funeral, my mom came back to the house. I was living in England, so I flew back home. And I guess we thought mommy was going to be all right. No one was probably thinking about what losing a child would do to someone. My dad didn't tell us, right? They were old school. We learned later after my mom had an aneurysm, she was sitting on the uh, couch in the living room about to meet someone to go do some more good. And she called my dad and said, uh, my head is hurting, come downstairs. And by the time he got there, she had already started doing whatever aneurysms make you do where you're not coherent. And so she stayed in that state for a while because my dad was such a strong believer. <laughs> he kept quoting, you shall live and not die to declare the works of the Lord. And he would not let her go, is my opinion. So I had just flown back home from burying my brother. I walked in the door and this was before we had the cell phones the same way. My uh, phone was ringing and they said, um, Angela, can you come back? Mommy is in the hospital. She's had an aneurysm. And I remember feeling like someone uh, cut my knees off because it took, it took my energy in a way that I never had my energy drained like that. And for the first time in my life, I called my job's employee assistant services. And I said, I have just flown home from burying my brother. And my mom is in the uh, ICU with an aneurysm. They're telling me, come back. It's not looking good. I don't have the energy to get on a plane right now. Is that wrong? And they talked to me over the phone. And uh, I said, I was scheduled to take my daughter for her birthday to Nice because we lived in England. Nice only cost like two to $300 to get there. And they said, no, sometimes you have to renew before you can give again. So that's a key message, right? Even if you are dealing with grief, renewing and slowing down so you have something to give that's from your overflow and not your core. That's something I've learned. So I made a decision not to fly right back to Maryland from England. 
it's a long flight, number one. <laughs> but number two, I was like, I don't have it. I'm, I'm just drained. It took everything in me to get through my brother because he left six kids that he had just adopted who were, you know, at different stages, but they were, they were little, uh, like nine, 11, 12, they weren't grown. And he left my beautiful niece who at the time was two. And she looks like me, my brother and I favorite. She looked like me. And I don't think she fully understood what was happening with her dad. So my daughters and I kind of took her under our wing for my brother's service. So I go to Nice and I'm on the beach with my daughters and I just started crying, right? Not like boohooing, but the ocean for me is very soothing. And so that made a huge difference um, to sit there and basically release enough of the pain uh, to be able to, I, I flew from Nice to the States. And I'm so happy I took that break because when I got off the plane, I rented a car. Everyone was at the hospital uh, in the family room in the ICU because the doctors were telling my dad that my mom's brain had been without oxygen for long enough that 95% of it was not good. But that 5% prevented them from pulling the cord. And my father would not uh, let go. He wasn't ready. He just wouldn't let go. So he kept quoting that scripture. And I do think God honors when we pray, but I didn't know if that was the right prayer. Okay, so <laughs> this is the secret I'm telling you guys, right? My father's deceased now, so I can, I can say it. I got off the plane, I rented a car, and I drove from the airport to my parents' house. And uh, I was like, oh no, what are you here for? At the hospital, it was habit, right? So I went to the hospital, I parked, and I came up into the room. And I mean, immediately, immediately as I came through the door, people started saying, what do you think we should do? We haven't picked a dress. We haven't picked a program. What should we do here? It, it was like they tried to transfer what they were used to my mom doing to me. And I recognized the load. I could feel myself going, mm, you know, and sinking down. And I thought, nope. I'm not going to do it the way mommy did it because I don't want to be up in this room like my mom is right now. So I thank God to this day that I took that break in Nice. I forgot how many days I was on the water just sitting there, uh, maybe three. It wasn't a long time, but it was enough to, to at least refill, right? And um, I wound up, I'm trained as an attorney. <laughs> I wound up basically putting boundaries right in the IC family waiting room. And I said, okay, I have just gotten off the plane. I have not seen my mother yet. I am human. I have just buried my brother. I'm going to ask you to think about that before you send me your stress. I said, let me go see my mom. And then we can have a conversation. But ask yourself, what can you do to help get this done, right? I pushed it back on them because it wasn't my load to take. And so um, I forgot which movie I saw, but it was like something funny. Like someone says, can you take me somewhere? And the person says, no. And they get mad for a second. And then they turn and say, Ethel, it's you. You gotta take me to the store. 
<laughs> and Ethel doesn't get it that she should have said no. So she's like, okay. And she then Ethel gets, you know, basically the load dropped on her, right? And so the lesson I learned from that funny little episode is people will try to give you all their stuff, but that doesn't mean you need to pick it up, right? So in my mom's case, they didn't even have to volunteer to give it to her. She volunteered up front to say, put it on me, right? Jesus, if you believe in, in that, he, he bore the load. We don't have to do that, right? If you don't believe in that, the universe has gifts and uniqueness for you. You're not supposed to carry everyone's load. That's not, it's, it's not scriptural. It's not scientific. It's not woo-woo energy. It's just not smart, right? So for anyone who has parents like mine that served everyone and were such good people, salt of the earth, literally the Black Mother Teresa, I think my mom met her too because she's traveled everywhere. They also sent money to Israel because that was God's chosen people. And I used to think to myself, what about us, right? You know, and, I mean, we were blessed in spite of it, but I'm telling you, my parents showed us by action, given it shall be given. And then when it was given, they gave it back out. And I'm like, well, when do you get to keep some? So my learning to be a lawyer uh, and, and argue your point started when I was probably a teenager because I said, daddy, the Bible says 10%, bring you all the tithes into the storehouse. Why are we giving a hundred? <laughs> it didn't go too well. He didn't like my discussion, <laughs> but I thought that and I still did. And I still do. So I went in to see my mom and um, it was just me in the room by myself. And it was hard because if you've had anyone who goes into the ICU and they actually are brain dead, if, if you don't make the right calls on it, the body starts to show that it's not functioning. I'll just say it that way. And my mom was like swollen beyond recognition, really. It wasn't enjoyable. So I went over to her and I said, hi, mommy, I'm here. Um, I know you're probably hanging on because you're worried about daddy and you're worried about everyone except for yourself. If you want to go and be with the Lord, I want you to feel released to do it. Your work here has been phenomenal. And if you don't do another thing, you made a difference in all of our lives. We love you. And I uh, appreciate you as my mother. Um, please do whatever makes you happy, including going to be with the Lord. <laughs> That's the part I said that my dad didn't know because as soon as he came back in the room, you shall live and not die to declare the works of the Lord. And I'm over there saying, go with God if you want to, right? Because, you know, I'm thinking this is not her life, right? She, and then I said in front of my siblings and my dad, I believe that God is a healer. If mommy wants to come back and if God wants her to come back, he can do it in an instant. But if she's liking where she might be or where she has seen in her thoughts, maybe we let her enjoy that. That was my code for saying she has worked long enough and hard enough since I've been a kid. Who wants to have her come back and do more of the same, right? So long story shorter, I got back on a plane because my mom didn't die She and they wouldn't pull the cord. And my dad spent, I don't know how much money moving her to a different facility that they put on all these machines. I thought my mom wasn't there anymore because she just kept getting worse in terms of her physical appearance. Two days before Mother's Day, 
uh, I got the call, mommy, mommy transitioned. I was happy for her. I thought, mommy, you're not suffering anymore. You're not giving everything that you have to everyone else. And you didn't keep anything really for yourself. She grew up one of 14 siblings. Um, my grandfather was a pastor in uh, Virginia at a time that Virginia was not too integrated, but he had an integrated church. <laughs> he was progressive and he was an entrepreneur. He had a lot of land and very good looking too. That might've been a factor for such a large congregation, but, <laughs> and he was multi-talented. But my mom and her kids, uh, her siblings, they all watch my father, my grandfather and my grandmother do the same thing that my mom did. They were known in the community for helping. So with her passing, I am not kidding. Everyone started looking around, trying to figure out who's going to take on what she did. Because I just gave you a couple vignettes of my mom fixing the food, being the summer camp director without having the name, being the organist, being the program person for anyone's funeral, wedding, all occasions, being a wife, being a lobbyist, being a mother, being a cook. You know, if any of this list sounds like you, I invite you to slow down. I invite you to think about what it feels like if your kids have to deal with you passing two days before Mother's Day. When you lose your mother, it's a loss that um, you almost can't put into words. It didn't take me under because I contained the grief is what I think in retrospect. I put it into a spot and I said, I'm grieving my mother, but I have to function. So <clears throat> I think I got busy working. In retrospect, probably too much, right? Because I, I won't say I was a workaholic because it was me. I'll say I worked a 14-hour day as a normal. And I worked um, sometimes two to four in the morning as a normal three times a week going to meetings because I was overseas. I'll say that I never attended any of my daughter's uh, events, sports events during her middle school years. And I'll say I paid two nannies and said to them, if my kids love you almost like you're, you're their mom, I'll pay you a bonus. And I thought that was good because I'm, I'm thinking I've given them great nanny care so I could go to work. So it wasn't in the church like my mother, but it may have had the same flavor of working, 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 working. And um, at my mom's funeral, after I was in the hospital room and everyone was trying to come at me, when I came back out from talking to my mom, I started putting things in order and, you know, ordered the casket, got the dress. I, I got a matching outfit. So we both look really cute. Um, and they would know I was her daughter <laughs> if they didn't know already. And she had a lovely homegoing service. But that's when the real difficult road began because if you're the type of person who does all that 
and you die early or you're taken suddenly and you're incapacitated, no one has had the training to know how to step up the way that they need to. And so our family suffered. She was the main cook, right? Nobody felt like really going to the house to go there and there's no food being cooked because we were trained that it was always food and you loved and spent time with her in the kitchen. She had a gift for giving people beautiful gifts of crystal and other things. And Christmas was really, really boring <laughs> without my mom, right? And so um, I learned a lot of good lessons. People tried to say, you're the matriarch now. I said, oh no, my mom's dead. I'm not picking up that mantle. I'm myself, I'm Angela. So I care about busy, stressed career women because that was me. My mom was a busy, stressed career woman, but she was ahead of the times like many moms of my, I'm 58. So if you're around my age, your mother probably was like my mom where she took care of the whole family and they didn't always get the glory and the credit for making sure the husband was successful. The kids turned out well, you know, everyone got where they need to be. And my mom had a career, but when she had those seven kids, eventually, I guess they decided it was better for her to be home. And then she worked in my parents' business. So she fit the criteria, but in a different way, right? So I care about busy, stressed career women who've lost their mom or who've not lost their mom. And if they're a mom, I don't want their kids to lose their mom because it's a pain that you just don't, uh, you don't recover from it, right? You have to find a way around it. And for me, the place that it hit me the hardest after she passed was the first time I flew back from overseas because I lived in England, Thailand, Japan, and I visited all these countries for my job, right? I was gone for over 13 years overseas uh, serving our country. My mother would always meet me at the airport and she would be there um, smiling, giving us a hug, me or my kids, depending on who I was flying with. And if it wasn't food in the car, there was a good meal at home, right? <laughs> you knew you were back. So the first time I flew back with my kids and no one met us at the airport, that was really, 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 really hard. And I'm like, oh man, my mom is gone. And then my brother, the one who died at 42, he was the other really good cook. So food is my love language, right? And um, so it was really difficult. So in your life, if you've lost your mom, it's good to step back and say, what are my favorite memories of her? Because I think that helps you to know what gifts she deposited into your spirit. And maybe to also ask, what do I wish my mom had done differently? Because that's a signal for you to watch to make sure you didn't take that same habit because it's what's taught. It's what's caught, not what's taught. So my mom worked and helped everyone. And I caught that. And I didn't notice it because I did it at work, not in the home setting. As daughters of moms who transition, 
I believe that our mother's spirit and our mother's voice lives through us. And I believe that children are the greatest legacy anyone can leave to this earth. If we wanna honor them, in my opinion, doing the things we know that they didn't know to do and doing them well, like self-care. Like my mom felt joy almost every day. I mean, she was full of laughter and joy, but she didn't know a thing about boundaries or if she knew she was taught unknowingly, boundaries are to be violated and you don't care about yourself. You don't have time for you. You know, she just didn't get that lesson under any circumstances, maybe being one of 14, maybe being a preacher's and a pastor's wife. I don't know, but she never, or maybe she had a heart to serve. She never, ever got that lesson. So that's the lesson I want to make sure everyone hears. You matter. You are worthy. You are unique and wonderfully made. God knows the plans he has for you to make sure that you prosper and have a future. It's not his will. It's not the universe's will. It's not your destiny to die early, to be unhappy, not to have joy, to work yourself to the bone, to never spend time with your family or your kids because you're doing something different, same flavor, different container. Make it a mirror of how your mom was because you, know, you might do some opposites, but I guarantee you there's some things that got through that we probably haven't slowed down in the past enough to really observe. For me, the COVID-19 shutdown was the first time in my adult life since the age of 13 that I wasn't working, 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 right? Since 13, I've been really working. And that's when I thought I had the message, oh, I need to slow down. But my definition of slow down was I'm going to start working eight or nine hours, right? And I won't go in on Sunday. That was my slow down. Well, I don't know if it was God, the universe, or just myself. <laughs> I was outside during COVID shutdown, getting trees planted. I was having major redos of stuff. You know, I was busy at home and I broke my ankle on a Sunday morning, listening to a message I uh, forgot what the topic was. I think about faith, but anyway, I broke my ankle and I wound up in bed, incapacitated, couldn't even go to the bathroom from November, uh, a solid four months of really not being able to do much because it was a bad break. It was my ankle and my lower leg. That's when I feel God spoke to me. <laughs> it took all that. And I said, okay, God, you don't have to break anything else. I'm willing to listen. <laughs> So I'm sharing with you, if you're getting a quiet little voice that's telling you to slow down, don't take it that you did a good job when you say, when I go back to work, I'm going to only work eight hours and I'm not going to go in on Sunday. You might get something broken because you really didn't get the message. The message really is, I want you to change. <laughs> I want you to figure out how to have more joy, more time for family, more time for friends. And there's a unique call that's in your spirit. You know it and you're ignoring it. Make time for those things that really matter. In my case, I always love motivational speaking, but I was afraid and scared, I guess, to speak in a way. I think that because my parents were so busy helping everyone else, 
like they were going to revivals instead of being at some of my graduations, right? I don't think they had parent training the way maybe we're getting today to understand that hurts your sixth grade graduate who's the mistress of ceremonies. If you're not there, that hurts. And so the thought that I was not enough, it intermittently got in my spirit. And the reason I say intermittently, they also said to me, you're the head, not the tail. Your father owns it. Cattle on a thousand hills. Asking it shall be given. Seeking it shall find. Knocking the door shall be open. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk up right before him. So I had all this in me to be successful. And I was outwardly, right? I was traveling the world. But inside where my sixth grade, fifth grade person was, I think it was fifth grade because it was it was elementary school. So I think that's fifth grade, not sixth, fifth. I wanted my mom and dad to be there and they weren't. They were in Canada or in the Bermuda, Bahamas, somewhere during a revival. Who cares, right? <laughs> I didn't care about those lost souls. I wanted them to be there for me. I was a lost soul, in my opinion, <laughs> afterwards, right? At the time, I was like, I must not be enough. And so... It was the program that I was in with Kathy Heller and me to do this at age 57 that I was on the bed with a broken ankle, <laughs> had time to think and to realize hmm, inside, if you pull back all the layers, there's a little girl who's hurt because her parents are serving the whole world, literally, <laughs> literally. And uh, you feel like they don't have time for you. Even though they're loving on you in their own way, they don't have time to sit with you and listen and say, how was your day? Or to come to your graduation or to um, <clears throat> make sure you felt really special. I know they love me, but it's time. Time to me is love. And I thought time wasn't the biggest deal. I thought money, <laughs> money to give my kids access to private school, access to travel, and then to see them on trips or at the end of the evening. You know, I, I had the priority mixed up. I was doing the opposite of my mother on one hand, right? She never gave to her kids. Um, we didn't have, we didn't suffer but we didn't have a lot of money because they gave it all to other people. So I gave the 10% and then I poured the rest into my kids trying to give them memories and experiences. So I'm a work in progress. If I'm telling the truth, I'm probably on a good journey to figure out how to make sure I do it better so that when I'm 68, 78, 88, Maybe 98 if I still feel and look good. If not, take me God. <laughs> I'm not trying to live to be 100 if it doesn't feel good, right? But if I'm doing good, okay, I'll stick around. If not, I'm like, Lord, I'm ready. You know, so um, I want to learn from my mom's experience. In the interest of not uh, keeping everyone too long, I'm going to wrap up with saying, this is the first time I've shared the story about my mom. I maybe give a little snippet when saying sleep matters. I lost my mom early because she didn't get any rest, 
but the details of how much she was on the road serving the whole world and what it felt like to lose her and have my knees cut off emotionally and not getting on a plane right away, which some people would have felt guilty about. But I thank God to this day that I did that because I don't know if I would have had the composure and capacity to put boundaries, start blocking literally when I hit the IC door, you know, not even getting to see my mother yet. People, they, if, if they're trained that you do everything for them, they forget that you're human. They forget that you're still a woman who needs to have some time for herself, right? And so I'm teaching my daughters and practicing it myself even more now, boundaries. Give from your overflow and not from your core. If you're exhausted, if you're consistently up past 11 o'clock, go to bed, <laughs> go to bed early, right? Because the sleep wash cycle starts, I think 11 to one. That's when your body gets rid of all the toxins. Nobody else in the world has your gifts. And speaking as a daughter who's lost her mom, if you go early, it's a triple ripple effect. My father passed in um, January of 2020. We just got access to the house last Thursday. I went into my parents' home last Thursday for the first time after my father was gone. And I'm the executor because the other two people didn't do it, right? And it's a heavy lift. I had to start by making sure the place got cleaned. And that cost me a pretty penny. And here's the part that was funny or ironic. After I had the first floor clean to look like how my mother kept the house, I didn't miss my dad. I started missing my mom. I went into her kitchen. There's a table there. And I'm like, oh man, mommy's not at the stove because I haven't been home. I've been overseas, right? And I knew I had this podcast coming up and I'm like, is it because I have the podcast? I'm like, no, it's because you're in your mother's house and it's clean again. And it looks like your mom's space. And you know, you know, and you feel that her spirit is in there. So I think I'm honoring her by sharing her story enough that whoever is not aware how precious life is and that you want to really do the things you love because my mom loved the organ she was a great organist but she always wanted to take organ lessons she would start and then if someone died I hated to hear people die because she took that dying as like so important to drop all of her stuff to go help when they're dead I, I don't want to say this in a mean way, so please don't get offended. But when they're dead, they're dead. It's not like you're going to, um, they're, they're gone, right? So you're helping the living to kind of accept that. But when my two friends died, I had two good friends who passed. It hit me so hard because it's really final. Even if you get reincarnation, if you believe in that, you could come back as a cicada. <laughs> it's not a pretty picture. <laughs> you could be underground for 17 years and only come out like for just a little bit, one mate, and then you're dead. I mean, come on, you know, 
not my life choice. So I'm choosing to believe that we live once and then afterwards you go to heaven or someplace else. That's my belief system. So it has to count, you know, let your life count. Do the things that bring you joy. I'm talking to you as a daughter who's lost her mom, a sister who's lost her brother at 42. And I see what it's done to his kids and to his daughter. And then my two friends, they were only in their 60s. But my mom took my knees out. My friends took my heart because that was my support system to deal with my mom's passing, right? If you are fortunate, you've got someone you can talk to or you have Beth's podcast, you got some resource. But imagine if all the resources that help you suddenly die too soon and the pattern is the same. The friend who died at 61, she was a Harvard graduate. She helped everyone. She never rested. She went to work all seven days of the week. Heart of goal, do anything for you. She went into hospice on Friday, dead by Tuesday. My other friend had lupus. She was big time. I won't say which agency, but both of them were like, you know, like number two or three. Four. They, were, they were the top, top, top um, where when they were coming through, it wasn't so easy at that time to be a woman who had kids and who had a really big time career. I always say that successful women need the equivalent of a wife and their guy husband. <laughs> My husband doesn't like to hear that, so I don't say it too much. But I mean, you need someone to help you, an executive assistant, something, right? Because you got the loaded work, plus you have all the stuff that you do outside of work. But from my two friends who passed, plus my mom and my brother, 2020, and then my friends now, it almost feels like a sandwich, right? Not a tasty one either, but a sandwich of grief and grief, but different flavors, right? Because one of them, my brother and my mother, and then the other one, my two good friends. So I felt adrift. I felt like, man, who do I talk to? Who's in my circle? What do I do for family gatherings? Who do I call if I need advice, right? And then I found different people, primarily through programs that I engaged in to kind of get myself back centered again, right? And I'm good today. If any of my share helps you to just ask those questions, how am I doing? What did I learn from watching my mom? So that you can make sure you're taking those things you loved and keeping those going in your family. Like the meal, I'm now the person who will hold the family gatherings. I can cook almost as good as my mom. I just only choose to do it for special occasions. She, she really didn't have any boundaries on where she would fly to help someone. Mm -mm, that's not me. I'll help you in a healthy manner because I don't want to be my mom. I don't want to go too soon. So that's it in terms of my share. Well, thank you, Angela. That was just amazing. Um, I really appreciate how you've uh, turned it into um, a lesson, a life lesson that you've taken from it. And you and I are kind of in the same spot because as of January, 2020, I'm the last living person in my immediate family. You know, I lost my mom when I was 13. I lost my dad in 2018. And then my sister, some people make it to their deathbeds. And like you said, they have regret. They have things that they didn't do, things that they didn't say. Um, and so just having the clarity to have a little bit of ownership of your life 
your what you're doing, your health, how mm-hmm. you're treating yourself and others um, mm-hmm. when we get to that um, you know transition period. That's the best gift that that we could share with each other. And that's what that's what this podcast is doing. And you did a phenomenal job of doing that. And so you're continuing to do that with women, with stressed out career women. So tell people where they can find you, um, all your tags and handles and website and, and things like that. So if people have felt like they've resonated with you, I'd love for them to be able to find you and connect with you in the programs that you're doing. Angela Crumpvalsi.com. That's my website. My Instagram is at Angela Crumpvalsi. And then I have a podcast called Be Wonderful You. Um, that I just do little, my snippets are only two to three, maybe five minutes because I'm wanting to catch the busy career woman when she's going to the bathroom or she's in a car going between meetings. I want my nugget to land where she has a window. If she's too busy, I want her to say, she's going to keep it short. I'll get a little nugget. I've got the podcast there. Um, I have Facebook, Angela Crump, no hyphen Volsi. I friend people. Um, especially if you send me a message that says, Hey, I heard you on a podcast, but usually I friend. And uh, that's my quote unquote personal Facebook. But since I just got Facebook, it's really both. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on LinkedIn, Angela Crump Valsi. If you need someone to speak encouragement, I love doing that. If you want to just have a conversation about how stressed you feel, I don't mind that. I like it better in group settings. So I'm, I'm much more into group coaching. I've done, uh, I had a beta program. It was really successful and I'm starting up another one. I think I'm going to keep the number small to maybe 12 women because I want it to be a safe container uh, where busy, stressed career women can have a chance to say, what might I want to change? And I'm going to start that this July. Thank you so much. I will put all of this information in the show notes so that people can come back and find it wherever they're listening to this podcast so that they can find you. Um, and again, I really, really appreciate you being here and sharing your story today and, um, you know, being vulnerable about the things that the lessons that you've learned from your mom. If you'd like more information on my thoughts about the grief journey, please visit my website, yourgriefjourney.com. If you'd be interested in being interviewed for a podcast, please send me an email to daughterswithoutmoms at gmail.com.